You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Praise God, have you with us here to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, here in this place, lifting his name, exalting him in true spirit and worship of him. I want to thank you during this Christmas season for being a giving congregation, blessing us through the blessing tree to bless Hillcrest Elementary, Mount View Elementary, and Head Start with gifts. The office is filling up. Today's our last day to get those in, but thank you for being a giving people, a loving people, a caring people who gives and serves and loves beyond measure. So thank you for doing that. It's the Christmas season, the season of giving and receiving from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. We're in our second week of our series called How to Christmas. How to Christmas because we are tempted to be pulled away from the real meaning of Christmas, are we not? If you're not, I am. I don't know about you. I'm so tempted and lured away from the true, real meaning of Christmas. And as a result, I don't do Christmas well or like I should. We started this series early because we wanted to really zero in and focus on what it means to do Christmas well. The season of Advent is what we're in, a season of preparing our hearts, getting ready for the coming of Jesus in that manger for us as our Savior. That's why we're calling it How to Christmas. Today, we're talking about a concept that is probably very foreign to most of us. It is most likely the thing we struggle with the most. Because I'm coming from personal experience, I do. It's the concept of Sabbath. It's something we potentially don't know a lot about, really don't understand the importance of. We don't realize what we're missing when we don't practice it. Now, I stand here guilty as charged. I stand here probably the weakest in this area of all the areas of my life and worst at it all year round. In a time I'm to celebrate the Prince of Peace, my soul tends not to be very peaceful. I struggle. Farmers in the Midwest, they would sometimes prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from their back door to their barn as a guide to ensure they could return home safely during the blizzards that came their way. These blizzards were fierce. They were quick and they're highly dangerous. Still happens today. When in full force they were blowing, a farmer could not see his hand or her hand in front of their face. Therefore, many farmers froze to death in these blizzards, disoriented by their inability to see. They wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. Some froze to death within feet of their door, never realizing how closely they were to safety itself if they were able to latch on once again. Many of us have lost our way spiritually in the whiteout of the blizzards swirling around us. You see, blizzards begin for us when we say yes to too many things. We listen to sermons and read books about the importance of slowing down and creating margin in our lives. We hear about the need to rest and recharge, but there's a problem. And I speak as one of you, we 
can't stop. And if we aren't busy, honestly, from my own heart, I feel this. If we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we were wasting time and are not productive. We live being addicted to tasks, to work and doing. We're so accustomed to being busy in our culture today. Being busy is held like a badge of honor that I'm busy to the point that if someone's not extremely busy, we feel less than. If you're not extremely busy, you're like, what's wrong with me? Everybody else is busy. What's wrong with me? When you ask someone, test this out this week, ask someone how they're doing, most likely what's going to be their response? Busy. I am just so busy. It's probably true, but it's probably the response. That's the response I give. And what if somebody actually says, you know, I've begun to slow down. I begin to get rhythm in my life. You probably look at them like, what's wrong with you? Now, sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, sometimes my response is this, I'm busy, but good. Truth be told, if I'm that busy, I'm probably not doing too good. <laughs> I think I am, because I don't know anything else as a rhythm in my life at this point. The problem is, we, don't, we, we allow our work to trespass over every other area of life, disrupting the balanced rhythm of work and rest God created for our good. You and I need a rope to lead us home. We can be so close, just like the farmers in the front yard, but we just need to take hold of the rope. God is offering us a rope to keep us from getting lost, and that rope is called Sabbath. Now, for clarity, there's a difference between busy and hurry. Busy is like a calendar thing, but hurry is a soul thing. It's virtually impossible to live a hurried life and walk in rhythm with the Lord Jesus Christ. As messed up as we get in busyness and hurriedness, we need to go all the way back to the beginning to see with fresh eyes what God's initial perfect design was for us. A message that is so convicting because we're all guilty, and truth is I am the chiefest of sinners in this area. But I say this today to let you know that God, in total conviction, total compassion, with as, clear, as much clarity as I can give, there is a God has a plan for us. And I simultaneously want to challenge you, as I challenge myself, to learn how to practice Sabbath through God's directives in His Word to us. This message is not a message for slowdown. You see, the word Sabbath, the first thing about Sabbath, Sabbath means stop. My freshman year in college, I received my first traffic violation ticket. I won't tell you how many I've gotten since then. If you ask me privately, I'll tell you, but I'll, don't, I'll have to add them up because it's been terrible. I got my first freshman year. I'm home from college for the weekend, taking my cousin to skate the skate rink on 105 from Drexel. Hopped on the interstate, came up, dropped her off, went home, to, back to Drexel to come back and pick her up later. I get off 107, Drexel exit, wheel around the big turn there, come up to the stop sign right there at the entryway to Drexel Road. Nighttime, I look both ways, 400 yards at least, not a light in sight. I thought I stopped, but I got down to single digits, way down to single digits, and I went on. Got down to where Cecil's alignment was, Settlemeyer Nursery is, saw blue lights. Oh, my heart sank. I got scared, started sweating like I am right now. 
And I was like, oh, what did I do? I didn't know what I did. And uh, officer comes up and says, son, do you know what you just did back there? I said, no, sir. He said, you didn't stop that stop sign. And I thought, well, I, I, I call that stop it. I don't know. He said, you didn't stop. I watched you. I was camping out on the side. I saw you. Didn't slow down. You didn't stop. He said, can I get your driver's license and registration, please? I said, yes, sir. He took it. I got home. Mom and dad are in the living room. I come in the door by the carport. My aunt and uncle were sitting there. And uh, my thought was, I'm going to go a few days before this comes up because I'm not bringing it up. So mom and we sat there for a second, and mom and dad go, do you have anything to tell us? I said, no, I'm good. <laughs> and my aunt and uncle go, Mike, we saw you pulled by the trooper on Drexel Road. I said, oh, oh. I said, yeah, I got caught for that stop sign in 107 right there. I slowed down to single digits, way down below single digits, but I did not fully stop. So she gave me the last year. Guess who she was? My mom. Stop means stop. That sign does not mean slow down. It means stop. Yes, ma'am. But I slowed down. It doesn't mean slow down. It means stop. I said, I get it. Little did I know that about a month or two later, I'd catch her in the same act. <laughs> stop sign by our house. She's in a hurry to get to church. And I just leaned over. I saw her come to the stop sign, and she wasn't slowing down real fast, so I leaned over to look at the speedometer. And she slowed down to single digits. She went on. I said, Mom, do you know what you did back there? What? I said, do you know what you just did? She said, yeah, I stopped. I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> you got in the way single digits. You didn't stop. Well, I call that stopping. I said, well, that's what I tried to tell you the other night. You would listen to me. <laughs> Sabbath means stop. It does not mean just slow down. God's design is for us to stop. We work, 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 work six days and we stop. There's a rhythm. Beginning in Genesis 1, God shows us how to refuel, reconnect, and get back to work. Now just think about your calendars. Dig deep in the surface and ask why we feel so hurried. Why we feel deep in our soul this hurry, this, this need to not stop going on. It could be several things. It could be greed. It could be insecurity. It could be people-pleasing. You name it for yourself. Ego. It could be anything. It can take on multiple things like this. But I think ultimately I would think it really is idolatry because I'm thinking that God can't do what He needs to do without me. That God needs me 24-7, seven days a week, and I can't stop because God needs me. I don't believe that somehow the sovereign king of the universe, the Lord of the universe, king of kings, Lord of lords, can accomplish what he needs to accomplish like this. Have you ever thought or said, I don't want to let God down? The truth is, you're not holding God up. You know, don't just think counter. Take time to look deep inside. Ask yourself, what is wrong within me that causes me to live out of rhythm with how God made me to live? Turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Let's see God's rhythm and how God established Sabbath in all of creation itself. Like number two, Sabbath is a rhythm that God put into creation itself. What's happening here in Genesis 1 is creation of the universe. Everything around us, you and me and all that exists, God creating what's here. And as we read this, you see a rhythm God put in all creation. First part of Genesis 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. In the beginning, God created. Ex nihilo, from nothing, God created. Then God goes on to tell us what he creates in the first three days. 
He does three different environments he creates. Day one, environment one is light and dark. Day two, environment two is sky and water. Day three, third environment is land and vegetation. Then days four through six, God fills those three environments. On days four, five, and six, he fills those three environments. The environments he made. Days one through three are, are there. God fills them on day four, five, and six. You see a definite rhythm in God's actual creation. God could have said just one word, bam, here it is. But God said, I'm going to put a rhythm in this. I'm going to create an environment, create an environment, create an environment, and fill, fill, fill. God put a rhythm in this. God says it. It happens. God says it's good. There's evening and morning the next day. God created in rhythm and not randomly. He created with a purpose. Maybe that is why rhythm matters so much to us. Think about your own heart, your own body. Think about music. Whether you can tap or clap to the rhythm, it does not matter, but you know rhythm, right? There's a rhythm to music. You can be offbeat, but there's still a rhythm. We like rhythm. Rhythm makes music. Bigger one than this, the way we're created. Think about a mother's heartbeat to a baby. In the womb, the baby responds to that mother's heartbeat. When that baby is born in, in infant stages, very infantile stages, what happens? That baby is irritated. That baby is upset. That baby is just blasting the roof off, screaming. Mom and dad both can do this, but specifically mama. Mama picks that baby up, caresses that baby to her chest. Baby feels mama's heartbeat and says, I know that heartbeat. And it soothes the baby down. Rhythm speaks to creation. Think about the ocean, the beach. Sitting in the beach, putting your feet in the sand, that sand between your toes, and I like it in my toes, but nowhere else. You sit there and you watch the rhythm of the waves. Close your eyes and you hear the rhythm of the waves going out and coming in and crashing on the shore in that rhythm of going out and coming in the way God created it. There's such a soothing aspect to the rhythm of the ocean. Then comes God in his creation story. This rhythm God did in these days, one through three, four through six, then comes a crowning moment of cre creation. Mankind is for formed male and female by God as his image bears. Look at verse 26. Here we come. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God has, has, could have done anything right here. God could have created 15 different genders. God created one neutral, one gender for the whole world. God says, I'm creating male and female. God creates us. Males and females, men and women, in his image. Genesis 1 and 2 are sometimes seen as two creation accounts, but not really. They're one account from two different perspectives. Let me explain. Genesis 1 is like the 30,000-foot view. Creation story from the sovereign king and creator of the universe, that heart of God that says, I'm king, I'm sovereign and creator of the universe. Genesis 2 is the same story, but it's up close and personal because it's God showing us as, as sovereign king, yes, but also as father, as close to us as our next breath, up close and personal with us. Something unique happens in this part of this 
story in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, with mankind, male and female, it says, Then God, the Lord God, formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. God creates this environment, and then simultaneously he breathes life through his nostrils of mankind. His breath, his life. Man is the only thing God created that was like him. It's the only environment that God filled instantaneously and did not have to wait. Then God gives them, Adam and Eve, a cultural mandate that we're to follow with our lives. That we're to see this is a cultural mandate. He says in verse 28 of chapter 1, flip back there again, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, have babies. Be Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Verse 29, God also said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose, whose um, fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. Look at verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. Man, you think your Christmas list is big? Buying presents, going to parties, and doing all the stuff you got to do? Check out Adam and Eve's to-do list. So far, God's created everything that exists. He evaluates it, and God says, it is good, if only, but mankind is very good. But when he creates his image bearers, the breath of God in his lungs, he says it's very good, and he gives him a list of things to do. Now, God's not about a bunch of rules. If you notice, there's only one rule in Genesis for mankind. What was it? Wherever it was, don't eat of that one tree. Everything else is yours. Stay away from that one because that'll hurt you. That'll destroy you. Stay away from it. Only one rule. Lots of things to do, but only one thing not to do. I think we got a lot to do with buying, buying presents and food to make and parties to go to. Man, Adam and Eve had just been created. They'd just opened their eyes. For the first time, and there in front of them is an untamed creation that God puts here. And God says, you know what? Here's your job, guys. Adam and Eve, here's your job. Fill it up with kids. Subdue it. Cultivate it. And I want you to rearrange all the raw goods that I've given you for human flourishing. If you didn't know what happens next, you'd go, man, they better, they better get busy. They got a lot to do. But look at what they did first. Now, you've got to realize this Sabbath. Sabbath is part of our DNA. It's made in the fabric and the fiber of our being. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. You know what our first parents did on the very first day of their lives? They rested in the Lord. They took a break. Do you know what that means? You, you don't rest from work. You rest for work. There's a big difference. We are created to work. The, the curse of the garden came from sin was the, the sweat of our brow, not the work itself. We rest for work. Very different. God created them in such a rhythm that every seven days they needed to stop. They need to be blessed and connect with God on a day declared holy. That day was different 
Now, you might look at this and go, why was God resting? God, in other places, says God does not tire. He does not get tired. Why did God rest? Here's what I think. God was modeling for us the rhythm He created within us. God said, I'm, I'm modeling it for you. He, he could, and He could rest because He looked at His work, and He was ultimately satisfied. God looks at what He had done and says, I'm satisfied. It's good. Good, 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 very good. I'm resting. You see, the only way we can ultimately rest is when we do a job and we're finally and fully satisfied with that job and we can walk away from it and rest. God looks at his creation with mankind as his ultimate creation, bearing his image, and he's ultimately satisfied with the work he's done. He instituted the idea of Sabbath as a rhythm of life for all of us, and he modeled it for us. After this, in the fabric of creation, the fiber of our beings, he revisited several times in Scripture as a, a reason. They needed a reminder. I, you, all of us need a reminder of what this thing's all about. Look at the story. Moses goes in and delivers the Israelites from bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Many generations of bondage, slavery in Egypt. Moses leads them out. Moses gets into the Red Sea, crosses over on dry ground. And they had forgotten during this time of what Sabbath was because as indentured slaves, servants, they did not get a day off. They forgot what Sabbath was. They forgot this rhythm. So God had to remind them, when you're an indentured servant to someone or something, you don't practice Sabbath. For me and you and all of us, we could be indentured servants to greed, to pride, insecurity, people-pleasing, or ego. It could be many things. But when you know Jesus, here's what happens. When we know Jesus, we are no longer slaves. We're called the sons and daughters of God. We're adopted into His family. And we find a place in our lives to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ in our place on the cross for our sin, going through the grave and now sending by, on the right hand of the Father. We rest in that completed work for us. If you are knowing Jesus as your Savior, guess what you are? You're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and not an indentured servant. We can rest in that. After Moses leads him across the Red Sea on dry ground, God leads him on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, the rules, the guide to live by. He receives those. Now, commandments one through three are about our vertical relationship with God, how to relate to God. Relationship to God, one through three. Then five through ten is how we relate to one another, horizontal. So you got vertical with God, relationship, horizontal relationship to others. He laid them out that way. Now, math question, which one's missing? One through three, five through ten, number four. There sits command number four between these two sections, tying it all together which leads us to the next part about Sabbath. Sabbath is a command, not a suggestion. Why? Here's what happens. You and I cannot love God the way we're supposed to love Him without remembering and honoring Sabbath. We cannot love our neighbor as ourselves unless we honor Sabbath. Exodus 20 
In that fourth commandment, here's what God says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. There's the bridger. And then God reiterates it again in Deuteronomy, Moses' final will and testament because he's fading out. Joshua's coming in. In Deuteronomy 5, he reminds them again. They're going to a land that they did not make the houses they're going to live in. Dig the cisterns they get water from. Plant the trees they get fruit from. And God says, you're going to be, you're going to be I'm going to remind you of this to the Shema, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because if you don't get reminded of this, you're going to forget me. So Deuteronomy 5, Moses brings back the Sabbath again. He says, be careful to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Key word he changes, as the Lord your God commanded you. Sabbath is a command. It's God's loving command. As Sabbath, as that day set aside, God says it's a holy time. It's a different time, a set-apart time, which is the next part of Sabbath. Sabbath is intentional and planned. God clearly says we're to work hard six days and trust him on the seventh day to do what you and I can't do and what only he can do. God says take this Sabbath and it's all about the reads, rest. It's to refocus. It's to reconnect with him, to re-energize. Sabbath means you believe God is a good, good dad. And with God's help, he and I can accomplish more in six days than I can in seven by myself. This is very important here. Sabbath is also all about relationship. It's not about rules. Remember Mark chapter 2, there's a story about Jesus and disciples. And they're walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. They're hungry. Pain hits them, they're hungry. So one of the disciples reaches out and grabs a handful of grain off the stalk, takes it in his hands and rubs it. He starts eating it. <laughs> like a whack-a-mole, a Pharisee pops up on the scene and says, points out how they've broken the Sabbath by eating the grain. And Jesus comes forward and says, you totally missed the point. You're taking this gift of God and making it a way of oppression. The gift God gives us rest and relief and relationship and not rules, but you've made it all about rules. Jesus' exact words were this. He told them in verse 27 of chapter 2 in Mark, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God made it as a gift for us. So, verse 28, then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I can't know Sabbath until I know the Lord of the Sabbath. And when I know the Lord of the Sabbath, I can enjoy Sabbath rest. I can't do it without him. He is the essence. He is the everything, the substance of the Sabbath. So question, how do we Sabbath? Think about it like this. Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, we enjoy rest, practice delight, and we contemplate God. When you and I finally stop, we can accept God's invitation to rest. And when you rest, you can delight in Him and contemplate God's love 
for you. That's how it works. And we do this on four levels. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. How did God say we're supposed to love Him? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So as we enjoy Sabbath in this way, we do it on four levels. The heart level. The heart level is connecting with family and friends and just pulling back from work and saying, that stuff can stay. I'm reconnecting through relationships. Get these things refocused. At the heart level, getting connected through relationship. The soul level. That's connecting and reconnecting your soul with the Lord to be refilled with His Spirit. You see, if you're like me, we are emptied by work. We're emptied by relationships. We're emptied by life itself. And we need refilling. You and I are refilled with multiple things. We're refilled through corporate worship like today. That's number one in one way. Number two way is through private worship. Worshiping privately. That happens through extended times of Bible reading, extended times of prayer, and extended times of worship. A quick note, which Pastor Mike will tell you more about in announcements, but we're this coming year, in January, we're going to start what's called a CBR journal. It's not magical, but it's a great tool that we're going to put in your hands come January this 22, that we can all be on the same page as a body here at Summit Community Church to read God's Word together in a two-year reading plan. And in this book, in this journal, you every day you'll take that passage of Scripture for the day and you connect to the Scripture with your heart. What does it say to me at the heart level? You then surrender to this passage through prayer. You then listen to the Scriptures, that listen to them again to read them out loud, and then you meditate on this portion of Scripture, read, put down your thoughts. Then you pray through it, through Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication on this side. You discern next steps and you share with others what you've learned in that passage. We want to be on the same page to read God's Word and to get in His Word for, on to, for a two-year reading plan together through the CBR Journal. They'll be available come January. This is a great tool to be at the soul level of Sabbath. And what this does for us, we can reconnect to multiple levels like we can do parallel passages for the series on Sunday morning out of what we're reading throughout the week. Today was a Mark 2 passage. It could be a passage out of here we read this past week. So January, they're coming. Find out more in just a moment. But that's at the soul level. That's what that is. The mind level, probably the hardest one and the biggest one of all. You know what that calls for in our culture? Putting this thing down. Do you know that... I, I, let me stop for a second. That thing is a great tool. It's a great resource. I'm not saying go without a phone. I'm not saying that. I know it's a great tool. I, it's, a, it's a tool to be used, but sometimes that tool can reverse on me and use me. Has it ever happened to you? I want to caution. Be forewarned. It can happen. So there comes a time we've got to lay this thing down for a period of time and say, not doing it. Because we, we can become so attached. We can become so worked up because we can't find our phones. You ever find that? As a matter of fact, they surveyed people and asked them about phantom vibrations in their pocket, and 89% of people said they feel a vibration in their pocket when their phone's nowhere near them. We're so attached, and it begins to rewire how we think if we're not careful. So we got to find time to say, uh, not going to do it. I'm not saying it's evil in itself. It's a great tool, but we got to find space. 
to lay this down for a while to say, can't do it. There's nothing wrong with saying, get back to you a little bit later. That mind level, taking our minds and turning things off in our minds just to sit and just ponder and it might be by a river, it might be in the mountains for a hike, it might be the beach, whatever. Just take time to just set your mind at ease and focus on God. Last strength level. This is a hard one. For somebody that likes to stay up late and do other things, it's getting rest for our bodies. Be rested up for what God has ahead of us, what God has in store for us. Taking time to stop. Caution. We tend not to take Sabbath very serious. We have a tendency to just blow it off. To Sabbath, we've got to convince ourselves to stop. As believers, when we finally stop and we Sabbath, we're saying we're ultimately and totally satisfied in Jesus' work for us on our behalf. That God, Jesus, I'm satisfied in you, satisfied in your work. I've worked hard these six days and I'm laying it aside because I need to refocus, re-energize, reconnect with you. Refuel for what you got ahead of me because there's more to do, but i got to refocus right now and rest. i got to Sabbath. We will not know Sabbath until we know the Lord for the Sabbath. It's all about relationship. If we close, Matthew 11, Jesus said this very clearly. He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, what if we truly understood the Lord of the Sabbath is really the substance of the Sabbath. What if we knew He gives us the Sabbath as a gift to refresh, refuel, so God can use us in incredible ways? I got some questions as we close today. Just a personal heart check evaluation in your soul. Are you always busy? Do you feel the need to say you're busy even when you're not because you feel that compulsion to feel like you're doing something? Are you stressed and overworked and tired? Do you have a need in your heart and your soul to reconnect and refocus? Now this gets real personal. How long has it been since you have taken time to say I'm stopping work, I'm enjoying rest, I'm practicing delight, and I'm contemplating God? How long? Has it been? I will ask, has it ever happened? When was the last time you took the focus on God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? As we begin to worship in just a moment through a song, maybe it's time for a change. Challenge, maybe that time is now. Maybe now's the time to start changing things. To work that into our life as a rhythm that God made us to be. That we can be completely, fully, totally engrossed in Him. As we stand and worship through song, let's pray. Pour your heart out to God. Let God have His way. And Father in heaven, I ask you'd go before us. You would teach us and show us what we need to be doing, who we are, what we need to be. Help us to evaluate our hearts and our lives before you to say, what are we doing in this area of Sabbath to find total, complete, and whole rest in you? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me 
or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.